The following program contains misinformation, disinformation, and hate speech. It also features personalities who have been labeled far-right, semi-fascist, neo-Nazi, fringe, domestic extremists holding unacceptable viewpoints. Any and all calls for justice are to be taken in the context of Minecraft, the game, as are any references to woodchippers, helicopters, or firearms. This product has not been evaluated by the FDA. We do not condone illegal behavior. We do not offer financial, medical, or any other professional advice. All comments are for comedic purposes only. Views expressed within this program do not accurately reflect the views of the corporation or its sponsors. Use only as directed by medical professional. Use of this product may lead to cancer. Other known side effects may include, but are not limited to, hypothermia, heat stroke, sudden adult death syndrome, dizziness, nausea, irritability, cognitive dissonance, confusion, sudden onset dementia and Alzheimer's, winter vagina, erectile dysfunction, transphobia. See pamphlet for more details. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. Consume. Obey. Hey everybody, welcome to my Friends Hate Freedom podcast. Today I'm here with Mike the Polymath. How's it going, Mike? Pretty good, man. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, anytime. Absolutely. I'm happy to talk to you because you're into some stuff that I'm into, such as um, gardening and such. Um, You've built a pretty interesting business with gardening, huh? Trying, man. Trying, you know. Yeah, building, it's the hard part, but... uh... Yeah, it's been it's been a good, you know, fun kind of ride the last five years. I've been just trying to, you know, make enough to pay the bills and hopefully uh, eventually hire some folks. And, you know, the more gardens I can build in a year, the better. That's kind of the whole idea. Nice. So what um, what's your typical like client ask for? You know, it's um, pretty much specifically like veggie gardens. Um I, I tend to do raised beds, but not, not exclusively. Uh, some folks do kind of more traditional in the ground gardening, but, uh, most folks these days want fancy schmancy, you know, raised beds built out of cedar and, uh, filled with really premium soil. And, and then I sell kind of a membership that I come out and help them out throughout the season and, you know, get them planted, keep them, keep them in the seed and the fertilizer, you know, kind of make it as, as simple and easy form as I can. Uh, you know, I like to say, don't, don't be mistaken. It's, it's still your garden. Like it's not mine. You got to do a little bit of work here too right. as a client, you know, but they get most to harvest of them, it and wash it. Right. Right. They, you know, they got to water and harvest basically, although we'll set up drip irrigation on a lot of them. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's very much just like they get to enjoy the benefits without having to do some of the more grueling aspects of it. And, uh, and a lot of them just love the opportunity to like pick my brain when I come out and visit and uh, ask their questions. You know, it's kind of like half labor, half consultation kind of thing. And uh, yeah, you know, tons of people want to be a gardener, but they just don't really know how to start. So, right. Yeah. I yeah. think a lot of our friends and neighbors, they like, they think it's cool that we do it. And they also are very intimidated by it. They, mm-hmm. they end up doing more, um, pulling out plants and 
going with grass than they do um, actually yeah putting, i'm in the opposite like, business not man. all get, of them though like so there's people yeah. around town who have kind of copied what we got going on too so it's like it goes both ways it's pretty neat yeah man i'm in the i'm in the business of murdering grass killing it dead <laughs> getting it gone ripping it up taking it away uh you know grass is uh there's just too damn much grass in our typical sort of american landscape oh yeah it's ridiculous yeah. it's um it's so impractical and then we have to mow it and everything like it's yeah. practical if you have sheep who are gonna eat it or cows or something <laughs> right 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 yeah no instead we, instead we cut it up a lot of people even bag it up and take the clippings to the dump it's like how the hell i know did we get to this point you know why do we rake our leaves and put them in plastic bags and send them to yeah. the dump? And then like, some company comes around once every couple of weeks or whatever to like spray it and keep it one kind of grass. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's kind of gross really. When you boil it down, I get it. I get where it comes from. Like it's sort of a vestige of like European, like noble, uh, like taste, I guess you would say like the, the French yeah. gardens, the Italian gardens, the English gardens, they were all very like lawn centric, right? You know, lawns and hedges and like, you know, flower beds, but like very regimented and separated and, and that kind of held over in American culture. And it's really kind of a shame. Uh, Cause we're just kind of kidding ourselves. Like the whole, you know, every man's the king of his own castle, you know, in America, it's like, yeah, well, it's not all that impressive. I get that it appeals yeah. <laughs> to a certain aesthetic, but like, let's grow some fucking food, man. If, if you're taking down trees so you don't have to mow around them, you're not thinking about it, right? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, but that's like that's definitely the culture around here because a lot of a lot of the old PA Dutch people and stuff. That's that's exactly what they'll do is they sure. they don't want to have to mow around it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, mowing around things is all I do. I don't even have a riding mower because. I mow the pathways pretty much the space in between the garden beds, you know? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that, that's cool with me, man. A little bit of grass is beautiful, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Keeps the place looking nice, but, but yeah, we've so, got, so you're up there in Pennsylvania, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, that's where my mom's side of the family came from. Uh, nice. Erie, Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah. That's way out yeah. on the other side from me. I've never is even it? been to Erie. Yeah. I've had, I've had good memories running around in Erie playing in, you know, playing on the lake and all that. Nice. Oh, yeah. that's cool. But yeah, man, to be honest, dude, I like, I know next to nothing about your show other than the title. I have not listened to any yet. I'm ashamed to say, well, but what the heck your friends hate freedom. I like the title. You know? <laughs> I told you when you came on the WTF forum, it like reminds me of the whole Tom Woods thing. Like, your friends are wrong about Ukraine or your right. friends are wrong or your Facebook friends are wrong about COVID. I think that's what it was. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's catchy. I like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've been enjoying doing it. I've been slowing down a little bit as summer's kicked into gear and I've just been busy doing other stuff, but mm -hmm. I figured I'm not going to stress about that because at the end of the day, there's other things that are more important, but it's been fun and it's been fun, you know, making connections with people and stuff. Um, yeah, I just, uh, started checking out your show. Um, and I see a lot of what you have posted is the WTF forums, but you had a couple, you had one on adulting that I enjoyed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a, that was an interesting one, man. I've, I've gotten quite a bit of feed, feedback on that one. I think I kind of scratched it a sensitive topic. Uh, you know, the whole, the whole, the whole issue of estrangement and like, 
almost how there's like this weird, you know, like young people growing up, some of them don't leave the nest. Other ones leave hard and fast and like in a cruel way and they never come back and they yeah. never say hello to their folks. And, you know, this whole issue of like how families were just divided super hard over COVID. Like I felt like estrangement wasn't, you know, a topic worth talking about. And, and I've gotten some interesting comments back on that one. Um, probably more, more feedback than any other episode I've done. Yeah. It's an interesting, it's an interesting, um, thing that is part of our culture and a lot of people i mean people sort of i guess people observe that um childhood adulthood thing going on where people are living at their parents at 30 years old or whatever but um but it's always just sort of an offhanded oh yeah kids these days and and actually going into it is um something that i haven't heard really before and i think that's pretty cool and coupling it with the estrangement thing which is sort of the opposite i think that was a a neat way to do it cuz yeah there's like you 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 need to get your independence and establish it um i found that my relationship with my parents got a lot better after i went away for a while Mm-hmm. and um and then i mean i came back after some school and lived there for a while again and then it got you know tense and stressful again but now i live close to them and i can talk to them whenever see them whenever and it works really well and you know hopefully i can help take care of them in their old age too so that's that's well, kind of the are, goal chances you know? are social security ain't going to be worth the damn so it's going to be on us to take yeah care well of folks, i mean you know? they're already they're already collecting the social security so at least they're getting something out of it <laughs> well, yeah good good but yeah man um i found it kind of to be like interesting i wasn't planning on going from you know the perpetual adolescence and uh estrangement topic into that whole idea of enmeshment it just kind of came up and um it almost seems like the common theme like when when people are so codependent that they cannot imagine living on their own or when there's so much tension in the relationship for kind of unknown or poorly understood reasons like i think it all kind of boils down to that issue of enmeshment and sort of a lack of personal sovereignty and autonomy. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. One thing I've seen, um, with some people who I've known is, uh, sort of like, especially the mom will be an enabler for the kid. The kid kind of lives at home. And I, uh, there was this lady who lived behind us. She was this sweet old lady and she had a son who was probably doing some kind of drugs or something. um, he was totally useless. I would help her and he was my age, you know, but I, she would hire me to help her do stuff like dig a hole in the garden or put on the screen door or something like that. Because like, and I just, it occurred to me so many times how ridiculous it was that I was the one helping her and not her son. (laughs) I have, I have two clients and it's the exact same situation. They've got, you know, sons that are living at home, able-bodied, Uh, but just like too dopey or too doughy or too weak or lazy to do anything, you know, Yeah. like it's crazy, man. I don't get it. Like you're going to pay some, some 30 year old to do lawn care when you, when you've got one living in your house rent free, like fucking make them work. Like, 
Yeah. Like, mow the grass or get, get the fuck out of here, dude. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Start paying some rent at least. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't assume to know that they don't, but even well, still, yeah, that's true. even still, even still, like that's the son's job. That was, I mean? that was one of my parents ways of kind of like pushing me out, which was probably, which was definitely good. They kept raising the rent on me and I was like, I was lazy and not helping a whole lot. Like I would help mow the lawn and once in a while with the dishes and stuff, but I was kind of doing less as far as the chores around the house went. And this was back in my early twenties. It wasn't like I was 30, but, um, no, I, I mean, once I got my own place, I went right from living there to buying a house. And, um, then that's when I got into just doing everything DIY and and that's when I really came to appreciate how they raised me because my dad would work on cars with me when I was younger and I didn't want to work on cars but afterwards when I started to have to go to mechanics or work or do it myself that kind of thing I was like oh wow there's really a reason to know this stuff yeah, yeah <laughs> and, a- and my mom's frugality was something that I immediately took after because I was trying to make my own budget and pay a mortgage and and still drink beer <laughs> yeah 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 well that's um you know that's almost like playing it smart you know like if you have a plan and like you're you're gonna buy a house like there's nothing wrong with living at the folks place for a couple extra years but at some point it becomes enabling if it can go on and on and on um yeah i i can see it from every which side that's like why you know that was the tone i tried to take with that episode was like i understand why estrangement happens i under why understand why failure to launch happens um and like, I understand wh- why parents can be enablers in that way. And like the codependency thing, I can, I can understand it. I have sympathy for it, but yeah. it's like, a, it's a problem, man. It's a major fucking problem in our world right now. Yeah. Yeah, it is. We just, uh, we've just been so complacent and we've allowed ourselves to just be babysat for longer and longer. One, one kid, um, once said some wise words, I wouldn't call him a wise man, but he said some wise words that have stuck with me. He said, college is just daycare for rich kids. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a point, you know, and, uh, we were joking about social security, but like, it's a similar thing, dude. Like the whole thing about, we don't have to care for our old people the way that people used to. Um, I don't know, man. I think it's all kind of a, there's a whole lot of different issues that inter intersect uh, when it comes to these like intergenerational issues. Yeah. Um, the fact that we are so much more willing to just throw our old folks into old folks, you know, yeah, concentration the camps, disintegration of family, the disintegration yeah. of culture, all that kind of goes along. And I mean, then even the disintegration of economy and stuff like that, it all is very related because we just don't even have a lot of um, accountability um, or responsibility. We, we, it's so easy to just kind of say, Oh, I pay my taxes. Therefore I'm doing my part. (laughs) Right. It's the abdication of responsibility. It's the, uh, you know, it's, it's the slowly stripping away of personal sovereignty. Seriously. Like that's what it all boils down to. Like, Oh, you're part of our collective. So, you know, you don't have to worry about these things that like, that, you know, the, the state's got you covered, right? Like, yeah. have all the, have all the kids out of wedlock you want, like, 
you know, be, be fruit or be irresponsible with your money, like not being frugal enough to actually have a retirement fund when you need it. Um, you know, I get it. Everybody's just trying to make ends meet half the time, like, you know, barely making it paycheck to paycheck. But, um, yeah, dude, I don't know. Like you start babying everybody and they're going to start acting like babies. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So tell me more about being a polymath. Huh. What is polymathery? Yeah. So I picked the word because, uh, I feel like it's something to strive for. Like I'm not so much trying to claim that I'm already there. Um, more that that's like kind of the end goal, but the idea of being a polymath is having like a diverse array of skills and knowledge, uh, so that you are able to solve complex problems. So, you know, people that get referred to like in history as like historical uh, examples of polymaths are like the same people you'd call like a Renaissance man or, uh, you know, some people say like Jack of all trades, but I don't know if that quite a Jack Spirico of all trades. Yeah, sort of, kind of. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I went on. I went on survival podcast. That's right. So I listened uh, to that episode ago. back when you were on, and yeah. it did not. I did not connect the dots that that was you. It's been a couple of years, man. And, that was a while ago. And on Telegram yeah. and stuff, you're not Mike the Polymath. And mm-hmm. I forgot. Even after I knew that, I didn't realize that the easy peasy gardening um, was you because I didn't put that together it had been long enough i forgot what it was about i was just like oh yeah i think he was on spearco right and then uh and then when i realized that it was easy peasy gardening that you're doing i was like oh yeah that was a really cool episode actually like that's a neat concept that you got going on so yeah um having having many different skills yeah I'm, i'm definitely kind of a jack of all master of none um yeah, i, I yeah. dabble in many different things and i'm quite competent in a lot of things but i'm not like highly qualified for any particular thing either you know something that jack and i talked about was like the whole jack of all trades master of none thing like i think to be a real like polymath you do almost need to be a master of something like to some extent right um Cause otherwise like there is maybe such a thing as being too much of a generalist. Right. Um, I don't know. Like you need some specialities, but I, I always kind of try to put things into context of like what's biologically appropriate. Like what did we evolve to be? And we evolved to be generalists to an extent, like everybody in the tribe would generally know how to do a lot of things, but everybody had a, a job of some kind that they were especially good at. You know, you had the the expert flint napper that could make the sharpest, you know, spear points, but everybody kind of sort of knew how to flint, you know, how to nap flint. So, you know, that's just one example, but like, I, I think in order to sort of be happy as a person, to some extent, you need more than one discipline, essentially, like, per, you know, a specialty, sure, but like you need more than one thing that you do. Anybody that is strictly, you know, the dedicated, like focused, you know, all they do is heart surgery and they, you know, they don't even play golf or nothing. Like, I don't know. That's not a very well-rounded person. Right? No, I agree. And then if they have anything else at, at home or whatever that needs doing, they've got to hire someone to do it a lot of the time. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. 
And that's that's kind of the way a profession like that would tend to be because it, the profession itself takes up so much time um, and so much mental energy that um, I could totally see not wanting to do anything else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you said, like just having your dad teach you how to turn a wrench, like you don't appreciate it as a kid, but that simple skill of like knowing how a socket works like you know a socket wrench and you know i've seen some pretty sad examples of people just not knowing how to do anything you know like yeah like you put a screwdriver in their hand and they can't figure out which end to use like it's an exaggeration obviously but yeah i don't know where it's you watch tv shows and you see people try to use a shovel and they clearly don't know how to use a shovel most of the time oh there is very much a wrong way to use a shovel (laughs) <laughs> there's a whole lot of right ways, but there's, there's a wrong way and I've seen it done. Um, but yeah, you know, and it's, I think like the schools don't do us any favors as, the, as far as this goes either. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but like where I went to high school, there wasn't much left in terms of like practical, uh, classes, you know, like home, home ec was a joke. Uh, and like, we didn't have wood shop. We didn't have auto shop. Like all that stuff had been nixed. Right. And it's kind of sad to see that stuff like undervalued. Cause now we're in a place where we don't have enough electricians. We don't have enough plumbers. We don't have enough mechanics. And uh, those are good paying jobs, man. Instead yeah. we've got a whole generation with massive student loan debt, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of those obviously those majors a lot of them don't really lead to a career other than teaching that subject um which is which is good if there's some of those people um yeah i went to a prep school for the last two years of high school so it was all academic um i mean you know we had theater and sports and all that stuff we didn't have i think there might have been some home ec i didn't take that um there wasn't really a shop class at all any kind of tech stuff at all it was it was math and science and english and that sort of thing religion because <laughs> because yeah. it was a church school so sure. yeah um but i mean i had some shop and stuff going up through elementary school at least um a little bit here and there yeah, yeah i don't know my memory was that they just like the guidance counselors, it was like college or bust. Well, they don't, know, they like, really don't prepare you for life anymore, no, man. No, yeah, I, I remember to... having this idea that when I grew up and got into the workforce that, um, adults would be mature mm-hmm. and get along better and have mature ways of resolving issues. And then in my first like real full-time job that was just in a factory, um, I quickly learned that that wasn't the case. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. why I can't work at like restaurants anymore, dude. Like too much drama, you know? Oh yeah. I love working alone. Like I would very much love to build a team, you know, for my business, but there's challenges when it comes to bringing people on, you know, the, the couple times I've tried to hire, I got, I got real lucky one time, uh, dude was just a rock star, but every other time it's just been like kind of a butting of heads and like, I don't know. It's tough when you, when you know what you're capable of getting done by yourself and it feels like you're getting half as much done with a second person, you know? Right. But then again, man, I've worked with people that it's like, once you gel, you just, you get twice as much done. So 
I don't know. Yeah. Learning to work together is not necessarily something that happens or at least didn't in my experience. You know, it's like, I could count on like a couple of hands, the number of classes that actually had like a challenging group project that I could remember. Um, but even in college, man, it was kind of like every man for himself, you know? Yeah. Huh? But. I think my most, um, I don't know if this is exactly related, but my most rewarding time that I hired someone to help me with a project, um, cause I hate hiring people, especially contractors. <laughs> um, I hired someone who was basically a professional, but he was also a friend and not really licensed and insured, but he helped me do my roof. So it was me and him working together on it. So I got to be part of all the decisions and stuff and everything got done. Like he had the know-how and mm -hmm. then I was right there the whole time helping with the labor and therefore it saved me money. But I also paid him a good rate to do his thing and it, it worked out very well and I was very happy with it. And most of the time, you know, when I've hired contractors, I, there's some aspect of the job where it's like, eh, that could have been better for what I felt like I was paying. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. I've, I've known a few people that have been like the gen, you know, the, their own general contractor, basically, um, you know, building their own homes. And if you can yeah. be on site, like project managing, even if you don't know everything, if you just have a really good, like subcontractor that kind of runs the show, but you're, you know, he still has to run everything through you. I, I think that's a great way to do it. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd love to build my own house uh, soon, hopefully. Nice. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Are you in a garage right now? I'm, I'm looking yeah. at the Yeah. So I, I rent this little workshop, man. And uh, I've kind of made it my, my under the radar living situation. <laughs> it's the price is right. And like, it suits my business. And as a single guy, I have very, uh, I don't know basic needs we'll say so you got a wood stove in there it looks like yep yep got the wood stove got sort of a back patio area that's not too bad and i get to keep my plants out there it's all fenced in so the dog can kind of hang out out there and i don't know man it's simple but it gets the job done yeah nice yeah that's cool um yeah man building a house from the ground up is that's a huge project but it would be really cool I agree. Yeah. And, and like locally sourcing materials and stuff. Um, <laughs> my wife and I watched a video of a guy, uh, building a log cabin by clearing the land of these tall, tall pine trees and just stripping them. You know, he was using a chainsaw, but like so much of the work was done with a chainsaw and, um, it was, it was pretty cool seeing one guy all by himself build this log cabin with big trees Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, even with the like modern technology, if you use traditional building technique, it's just going to be so much better uh, in the long run. I know log cabins take a fair amount of upkeep, but like, you know, you know, the name Thomas Massey, I imagine. Oh yeah. Yeah. So have you ever seen pictures of his house? Yeah. I watched Dude. a tour um, of his going through it. It is impressive. Yeah. That uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember what the timber framing that's a timber frame house, right. which is very traditional style of building where, you know, it's all just simple joinery, you know, like notches and slots. Mortises and, like, and tenons. 
everything's mortised and tended together. And uh, yeah, dude, it's, it's gorgeous when it's done well. Um, and it'll just, it'll stand forever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would, you know, if money wasn't an option that or it wasn't a problem, uh, that would be absolutely how I'd want to go. Yeah. We, we know yeah. someone who has a company where they do timber frame houses. They, they pre-cut all the timbers and send them out to the location and mm-hmm. put them together there. So they've basically got kit houses, but they're big, beautiful kit houses. <laughs> right. Yeah. I've seen videos, uh, especially up North. It makes a lot of sense. Like to have your, the majority of your construction, like done under cover of like your facility. And, uh, that way you're not, you know, facing the elements for, but just a few days, like putting oh, it up. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can I actually kind of apply roof up first basically, and then fill in the rest, huh? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I apply a semi similar principle here where I do a significant amount of the prep work, uh, in the shop here. So then like when I go to a job site, I'm, I'm really efficient because everything's been prepared and like, I know I've got everything I need, <clears throat> you know, the more like systematic you can be about it. Uh, the, you know, the more money you'll make, right. If you can get in and out in a day, as opposed to two days, the overhead of just, you know, driving alone, let alone like, you know, you, you get my point. Like, yeah, yeah. Going back to kind of maybe what like polymath is, is somebody that can apply like systems thinking, right? Like implementing systems to solve problems. I mean, that's all business is, you know, you're trying to solve a problem of a need in the market, uh, that, that you can fill and it requires a lot of moving parts all at once, you know, to, to run a business. So it's not for the faint of heart, but there's tons of money to be made building gardens. I keep telling people, it's like, I don't own this idea. Just go do it. Like, I tell you what, it's tempting. Yeah. (laughs) If you're, if you're like flexible enough financially and like, you know, you got to keep yourself afloat for a while till you get that customer base going, but it's a good way to make a living, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. When I was browsing around your website, it with how good my wife is with plants, um, she's very knowledgeable. And then I've got like the grunt work aspect and between the two of us, we could totally do something like that. We could put it together. I'm sure sort of yeah. a matter if we would, I, I also make homebrewed mead. So that's, even though it's more complex to set up as a business because of legality, that's kind of where mm-hmm. we're at right now. It's like, I, I really want to do it because I've got a good product that I could sell. How many friends do you have? <laughs> I'm the, ones, say it. the ones i grew up with <laughs> Agor, agorism man just don't, i know. You know just do what you do nobody nobody needs well to yeah there's that and it's it's something i've thought of like doing a private membership association and that kind of mm-hmm. thing um and that might be a way to start out um it's when you've got something like that um with alcohol you can't advertise it anywhere basically so building that customer base would be difficult start like a viking um religion of some kind like a nordic church or whatever and claim that it's part of your ceremonial practice (laughs) then they can't touch you man yeah 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 
like the food church. Right. Uh, I was just going to ask you if you'd Niti heard about Ball? the food church. Is yeah, that her name? Yeah. Uh, Niti Bali. Bali. Yeah. 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 I've actually got her book up here somewhere. Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, she's cool. She's very cool. I've talked to her a couple times. Awesome. I, I want to get her on the show. I just need to ask. Yeah. Yeah. You should yeah. do it. Yeah, man. But yeah, I guess, uh, <laughs> you listened to the WTF, uh, from, from Childerberg, didn't you? Yep, I did. What'd you think of that? It's pretty wild time. Oh, it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, like, if you had any, like, favorite story from Childerberg or some favorite part or something that you'd want to relate, because <laughs> I'm, of course, jealous that you guys all were there and I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, favorite part of Chile, man. It's kind of hard to say. I mean, like, not to sound, like, gay about it, but just, like, talking to everybody, you know? Like meeting people like a lot of cool people man and uh my voice is still recovering dude like a week <laughs> later you know i flew back last last tuesday so just shy of a week of recovery and i'm still hoarse you know but we just had a ball man it was a good time like libations were had and you know this and that and um you probably heard a little something about like the weirdest thing that happened chili and that was the waterboarding <laughs> which, which I was like kind of not into, but, uh, you know, to each their own, it was all voluntary. It was, it was voluntary. <laughs> yeah. The moment, the moment I was kind of like, dude, come on is when people started trying to peer pressure BR into, into getting waterboarded. And he's like, nah, dude, <laughs> <laughs> did you hear this story? No, I don't think so. Oh, or, I mean, unless you guys talked about it on that episode, I'm not sure. No, he, he just, I was listening to him on, uh, on CB, CB NART, whatever you call it, um, their show. And he was talking about it. I'd forgotten, honestly, cause I was already pretty drunk. Um, but they like snatched him up a big group of people, like snatched him up and took him over there and like put him down. And he's like, the only way I'm getting waterboarded is if I have my gun in my hand. <laughs> and, and the dude's like, the dude's like, um, I'm not going to waterboard you if you're holding your gun. He's like, well, then I guess we're not doing it then. And that was the end of that. It was it was really funny. I mean, kind of one of those had to be there sort of things. Um, but at the same time, dude, I was kind of like, really, guys, like you're gonna try to pressure somebody. Like, don't be dicks, you know. But people so, were laughing. Sounds was, like the year before Rollo just uh, initiating a fight with Bird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, if it's consensual, it wasn't. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Chili's always a, a whole vibe, dude. Like the Did the, they have music going on this time too? Yeah, they did for for a good amount of time on I want to say Saturday. Um again, vague memories at that point. It was kind of a roller coaster. Um <laughs> I'm going to try my best to go easier next year just cuz I have been so tired like yeah. all week. It's like the week long hangover, but it's all good. Oh. After that's just talking and being super social like guy like me i i only got so much of that in my battery tank you know like as far as being that extroverted yeah yeah that yeah. on yeah you need some yeah i don't know i tend to be pretty extroverted once i show up but i don't always have the impulse to go hang out like it's not it's definitely not always what i want to do mm -hmm. um 
and I can imagine for a long weekend with a lot of people you don't know, it would be, it's more stressful if it's people you don't know. If it's people you know really well that you grew up with or whatever, then it's not so stressful. Yeah. Well, you know, the first year I was like maybe more like nervous just because I, I knew like one dude, but that lasted all of about 10 minutes before you just realize like, oh, these are my people. Like, you know, like it's very easy to get along uh, with pretty much everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Very cool. The the listeners of Timeline Earth, it's a, it's a niche crowd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's not just TLE people there. It's like they just did the best job of, I think, popularizing it when it first got going. Um, you know, it's still pretty small. Don't get me wrong. It's like a couple hundred people, but that's still a couple hundred people that are, you know, schizos like us. So it <laughs> <laughs> doesn't happen all the time. But anyways, uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, it started out as a lot of Bitcoiners and then like some more of the hippie types got into it. Homesteaders, gun guys, you know, it's a very eclectic mix. Yeah. Well, I mean, all those things can go together. I, I used mm-hmm. to kind of consider myself a hippie until I hung out with real hippies. And then I quickly realized that that was not where I was at. <laughs> yeah. Especially yeah. politically. Um, but you know, being into music and stuff, that was, that was my big thing in high school and afterwards. And, um, at some point I realized that I'm not into the scene enough to like, to make those connections and go out and become part of bands that I don't like want to be part of and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. so I, I now just kind of do my own thing and I've got a couple friends who I get together with here and there and play music with and, um, maybe record, maybe don't and make something out of it. Maybe not. And that's, I, I like having it as a hobby and, and that keeps me still loving it too. You know, mm-hmm. what do you play? Uh, a little bit of everything. Oh, cool. <laughs> like You're I said, of jack types. of all, yeah. master of none. I yeah. started out on drums, um, and then I started picking up some guitar. Um, and so now, like, with my own music, I do all the parts. I, I do drums, guitar, bass, vocals, just everything. Any, like, brass? Um, I I own a saxophone. I am not good at playing it. I have played it on some of my songs, and made something work (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but yeah i i really if there's one thing i'm not um not even a jack of that trade it's it's any of the brass instruments i'm really like impressed with people that can make that that jump to like something just a little bit more um i don't know traditional or you know it's like every kid gets a drum kit or a guitar right right But, but people that can wail on like a saxophone or a trumpet or a trombone, like that's kind of a cool sound. There was this band when I was in college, I was friends with some of them and, and they had a trombone and it was like a real funky, like rock and roll type thing with the trombone in the background, like just not even in the background. It was almost doing the melody half the time, uh, you know, kind of just freestyling over the band. And yeah. uh, it was a pretty cool sound, you know? Yeah, that's neat. Yeah. Ska was big when I was in high school. So there was a bunch of those guys doing like ska bands. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the trombone is such a fun instrument because it's got that slide and right. it, it looks like it should be easy. I'm sure it's not as easy as it looks like if, if you have a good ear for like where to stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
But yeah, I'm sure it's not easy to actually make it work. Cause I know from trying to play trumpet and stuff that you got to kind of change the tension on your lips and stuff to get the right resonance. So I don't know. Yeah. I'll stick to a harmonica. That's about all I can handle. There you go. You know, I tried to learn guitar. Like I, I know the basics. I can play some chords. Oh, that's like, right. You opened one of your show, one of your podcasts with playing yeah. and singing. Yeah, and it yeah. sounded really good. I really liked that song too. What was it? It was the, uh, what's it called? Uh, Spanish ladies, Spanish ladies. Was it the pirate episode or I think I've done it no. twice now. I think it was I've done more it recent probably. Oh, Oh, uh, Sing about Ruby Ridge. Yes, that's that's the one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You said someone else wrote that song, but yeah, that that's yeah. a great song. Um, I meant to look it up afterwards, but since I'm listening at work, I always forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually. I only think I sung one verse out of it, but the lyrics are pretty, pretty on point, dude. And it's Peter Rowan, who's a pretty big time bluegrass guy, and he made a statement with that song, dude. Like, yeah, a lot of people don't even know what they're hearing when they hear that song. Yeah. He really told the story. And yeah. Yeah. Got a wife and kids on Ruby Ridge. Please don't shoot me down. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good stuff right there. Yeah. <laughs> I love bluegrass, man. Like you were saying about the hippies and stuff. I never could get into like fish or like, I don't know. <laughs> like any of that kind of stuff, really. I went to a My Morning Jacket show that was, yeah, it was like, okay, I kind of see the appeal, but, um, you know, I was always a bluegrass guy, dude. Huh, like, nice. That's that's my kind of hippie, like the bluegrass folks. It's just a, to me, it's just the right amount of mix of like the cowboy culture with the sort of hippie culture. Yeah, man, those bluegrass guys can really rip it up. Like mm-hmm. some of those some of those licks that they play and how fast they play and stuff. It is amazing. And I, I would say I definitely prefer bluegrass to country because I'm certainly not a fan of modern country with like the hip hop country and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can dig some older stuff like Johnny cash and all that. Um, but yeah, there's even now, like there's some great blue bre- bluegrass bands that, um, uh, it's just really impressive what they're able to do. I I almost feel like there's kind of a new generation of good country music though. Um, You know, some of them kind of like are half bluegrassy, but I'm thinking about like Coulter wall. Who's very like outlaw country, but he's a kid. He's only like 20 years old, but he sounds like you, you know, the sound of the songs is like, this could have been from a hundred years ago, you know, Uh, just very, very classic. And uh, like Tyler Childers is great. Uh, yeah, Billy I'm Strings. familiar with him. Yeah, yeah. So there's some good ones, but now bluegrass is pretty much where it's at. Nice. It's stuck to its roots more. Like it just is what it is. Even the new grass stuff is like, it's not technical in the way that old school bluegrass is, but it's very, uh, you know, it, the spirit lives on. It's, it's right. Appalachian. It's Appalachian music. You know, yeah. It's like, there's some really cool yeah. bands that have been like more folk bands that have been inspired by bluegrass and folk. Mm-hmm. Um, let me think. Uh, Wild Child is one that I saw at Music Fest, and then First Aid Kit. They're actually Swedish, but they've got a very Americana sound to their music. Um, and yeah, it's uh, oh, Bright Eyes is another favorite artist of mine. Where he's just like he's sort of an emo folk singer. 
Yeah, dude. Um, Bright Eyes was like my jam in high school. Man. Oh my gosh. I, I, I got so into them and th- just the lyrics are so good. It, yeah. It's sort of sad that he's just a social socialist depressed dude that who's like, I don't have much in common with him other than that. I love his music, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't, can't necessarily let, let it get between you and a good song. You hey, know. you know what? The the tortured artist, that's like he really plays that role. <laughs> right, right, right. And his his poetry is amazing and he's an amazing musician too. Um so yeah, he's he's definitely got a place in my heart. Yeah, it's like it's like uh Neil Young man, like Oh yeah. Do I like the guy personally? No. Is Harvest Moon like an incredible album? Like absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. For sure. And who's the other, um, maybe I'm just thinking of Neil Young. Cause yeah, he took that whole activist route. Um, I guess he always was, it was just later on in his career, it started to get a little cringe. Well, he was the first one that was like, I'm taking my music off Spotify because they support <laughs> Joe Rogan, who's an anti-vaxxer. So like, oh, yeah. man. it was sad like, to see him go that way. And Jesse Ventura too, just, yeah. uh, promoting the crimes against humanity <laughs> i mean like go ahead take your jabby jabs dude just like don't don't tell us to do it if we don't want to yeah like, what do you give a shit about joe rogan for neil young like you've got more money than he ever will maybe i don't know maybe not unless he sold it all to blackstone audio yeah which he, he did <laughs> yeah i guess you're right. i mean i gotta think he got a good penny for it so probably yeah. uh probably doing all right yeah <clears throat> but yeah man i don't know like anybody that's never been to childerberg don't let the uh the social awkwardness and and uh autism stop you well Just here's come the on thing out. how can i convince my wife to go mm. there's there's other women there not a whole lot but people bring <laughs> their wives pe- people bring their kids like typically they'll they'll camp a little further like from the center of activity uh, right just for the sake of peace and quiet. But supposedly I heard that some of like the resident campers who are there, like, you know, nine months out of the year mm-hmm. were threatening to call the cops on us because of the noise. And the campground host was like, chill out. Like they're having a good time. Like we will be okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like, she had our back, dude. She had our back. That's she was great. cool. She was cool. Yeah. And and no rangers this time, like in previous right. years, apparently. Private land, you know, the only law enforcement there were undercover feds, and I, <laughs> I tried. I tried not to talk to any of those. <laughs> was it obvious? <laughs> there was a little bit of glowiness. At yeah, times. yeah, I would imagine so. They've been going for what five years now. Like, yeah, I gotta well, think that I mostly kid. Um, <laughs> But that, you know, the truth of the matter is the feds that are there are open about their fettiness, <laughs> at least the ones I've talked to. And I, I say that with a grain of salt. It's like you have a lot of ex-military guys. Right. Yep. A couple that were like security state type, you know, like surveillance huh. state guys who can't really talk in detail. But, you know, you can tell they had a little bit of a spooky air about them. Uh, yeah 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 so there's that dude but like you learn a lot from people who open up a little bit and uh 
like I said, nothing specific, but like had some really interesting chats with some really, pe- you know, fr- really smart dudes that like have been inside the belly of the beast. Yeah. 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 I know some feds, but not well enough to really get them to, it's, it's like if they volunteer anything, I'll, I'll definitely listen, <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to go asking them and opening up doors that I don't need to open. <laughs> Right, right, I guess. I don't. Uh, yeah, no one, no one in my daily life. <laughs> yeah. So, well, they just haven't. Uh, they haven't assigned you a, a babysitter yet. It's always You'll like, get... have you Googled me yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Saw a pretty good meme where it was like, uh, it was whatever the one where the girl's like tugging at the boy's shirt, and he's at, he's at the computer, and she's like, come to bed or whatever, kind of cartoony, and it. And she's like, come to bed, baby. And he's like, I'm too busy leaving an incredibly detailed and incriminating digital footprint. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's me. Holy shit. <laughs> like, I have said so many things that will put me right in the gulag. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I've i had my moments of paranoia about some of that stuff. And sometimes since 2020, I've sort of lost that fear because it's just it's so blatantly tyrannical and evil that i'm like you know what i'm just gonna i'm just gonna say what i want to say you know i'm i'm not gonna hold back i'm gonna try to try to champion the truth and then if they come and get me for that truth is treason and the empire of lies and all that um that's how it is, right? Like, I don't want to be stupid about it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't post guns on Telegram like a lot of people do. <laughs> sure, sure. But uh, at the same time, like, I'm not, yeah, I, like, with doing a podcast, it's like, I'm just putting myself out there and hopefully some people will listen and get something out of it and and it'll make the, the truth and freedom community stronger, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole like peaceful, not harmless, uh, and like sunlight's the best disinfectant kind of attitude is kind of how I've tried to be. Like, I will say what's on my mind. I won't say anything that's a downright like hate crime or, you know, or like threat (laughs) of violence or anything. Cause that's not me. That's not me, anyways. Like, I just, you know, that's not my jam. And, uh, but, you know, like, there is always that in the back of your head. Sorry about that. About oh, it's just right. like if they run it through the filter for certain keywords, as far as just being liber Liberty lovers, you know, I'm sure we're, uh, we're not necessarily not being listened to. You know what I mean? If, <laughs> even if there's not a fed assigned to us, um, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. The way I think about it is I don't, I don't think that, someone is specifically targeting me, but right. I know that a lot of what I do is going through the algorithms and probably the dragnet. Yeah. 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 I'm sure, I'm sure things that I do get caught in the dragnet, you know? Um, but it's, it's, I, I would tend to say it's mostly computers and you know, there's a digital folder somewhere that has my dossier and <laughs> yeah. Part of naming the the podcast, like the same as my gardening business was, I'm kind of like, I don't, I don't want to have to feel like I got to be anonymous. Like I have nothing. I'm, I have no reason not to be able to speak my mind, you know, 
If you don't like what I say, don't listen. If you don't want to hire me, don't hire me. Um, but at the same time, dude, it's kind of like shit's a little like a little more real than sometimes we want to admit to ourselves as far as how fucking far along this track of tyranny we've come down. Um, you know, I hope the pendulum kind of moves back the other way, but I just don't like that. It's, it's so tenuous right now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it seems like the beast is dying, but it's going to lash out and do a lot of damage on its way down. You know, like I think in the long run, um, good is winning, but, um, that doesn't mean there's nothing to worry about, (laughs) you know? Um, I recently, read through the whole book of revelations, which it's not that long, but I took notes as well because I'm very curious about how that lines up with Mm. some of the stuff that's going on now, you know, and it is interesting. Um, one thing that I found interesting is how all the merchants of Babylon mourned when Babylon fell because it was like, Based on based on the lies of the beast and the beast's assistant or whatever, um, there was so much wealth and so much um, opulence that everyone who was taking part of that system was able to profit, or all the merchants and stuff were. And so it's interesting thinking about how. Um, you know, a lot of, I mean, American prosperity has largely been built on debt, you know? Um, well, since the federal reserve act. Yes. Yes. In the last hundred years, <laughs> the, the wealth of, of pre, you know, depression era was all kind of, you know, a lot of it was resource based. Yeah. Some like of it was resource. extortion expo- or exploitation. I really mean, um, yeah, well, it was all just, human civilization doing what human civilization does. Yeah. But there was a lot of sort of honest wealth for Mm -hmm. a time, Mm -hmm. you know, for a time. Yeah. Yeah. Entrepreneurs and inventors were, that was huge. I, I know families who have generational wealth because their ancestors in the early 1900s were inventing stuff. And I'm certainly not part of that family, but I, I think it's, pretty awesome that they were able to do that <laughs> you know? i heard about i heard about some people you know and i think this is a classic you know this happens fairly often but some people find like a coffee can full of cash in their like grandparents basement that like their great grandparent like left and it's like eighty thousand dollars in a coffee can wow. which which is not a bad find except when you realize that when they buried that money, if they had just put it in the bank because of inflation, like that would now be worth millions. I don't know about millions, but you get my drift, right? Probably, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it just kind of illustrates, dude. It's like, they've really destroyed our national wealth. Yeah. They've left us high and dry, man. Well, and I like the way Jack Spierko puts it with, um, it's your life force. It's your life energy because you're mm-hmm. saving up your life energy mm-hmm. with your financial security. Mm-hmm. And then with inflation and taxation that goes down, 
So like it is literally sucking your life energy. It's not yeah. just oh inflation. It's it's all that energy that you put into building that um that security or that um that opportunity and that's being sucked away. Mhm. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I mean but what are you going to do? All you can what are you do gonna is do about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just, it, it sucks. Yeah. It's like, it's the, it's the new version of human sacrifice. Instead of killing like one person to satisfy the gods, we're going to take a little bit of life from everybody, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of the income tax. If you can tell. <laughs> I, I would have assumed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm actually a little bit curious about how it is with running your own business, um, dealing with the taxes and stuff. Like, I've always filed my own taxes, but it's always been pretty simple W-2 stuff. Mm-hmm. Now my wife has her own business, but it's not, it hasn't hit that um, threshold where she has to file quarterly and stuff like that. So it's... Right, me neither, me neither. Easy. I just still file as a sole individual. Okay, so. yeah. Makes it easier. Yeah. I do have an LLC, but that's just kind of like a formality. You know, I I could begin to file like in, in you know separately, business and personal. But literally, dude, I can write off all of my rent because I because I'm in the workshop, right? You know, I just work twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. You know, I you know <laughs> when I'm not working, when I'm sleeping, I'm at work. You know, right now, what you're doing is promoting your business. A hundred percent, dude. You think <laughs> I don't write off my trips to Chile? Like a hundred percent. That's perfect. So yeah, to, to answer your question though, it's really not bad at this point. Like, like you kind of said it, it's below the threshold where things start getting really complicated. Um, but I, I have had to learn, you know, kind of like how to play the game, right. In terms of write offs, like you, you have to be able to justify it. Um, in fact, having the podcast as kind of my marketing department is a real asset, you know, like I can, I can write off a lot of things I couldn't before doing the podcast and it's justified. It's, you know, it's totally legit. Some people feel like dishonest when they're trying to play this game of, uh, paying as little taxes as possible, but that's just the nature of the game. And you have that's, a lot of advantages. That's exactly what the millionaires and billionaires do. And that's why exactly. they'll never quote, pay their fair share unquote, because right. right. they have accountants who know how to work the system mm-hmm. and everything they do, like they keep it legitimate, but you know, they have trust funds and charities and stuff like that, that all of their income goes into. And then, then none of it's actually like net income. Right. 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 Yeah. Uh, and it's just like big Trump said, you know, it's like, I don't pay taxes because I'm smart. (laughs) 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 Like why, why should I, when I don't have to. Right. Exactly. You know, like these codes until they're off the books, like you can use them. Like, what do you want me to do? Just give the government money out of the charity of my heart. Like, go fuck yourself you know bernie sanders says that's what everyone should do and he doesn't do it yeah right he's (laughs) he's making he's making too much money off of his book sales to to worry about you know being a communist right now 
you know, somebody was making the joke. It's like, but Bernie, don't you think that the people at the paper mill and the people at the printing press and the people at the this and the that, don't they deserve equal share of the, of the proceeds of your book? You know, come on, man, like practice what you preach. And it's a fair point, you know? Yeah. To an extent. Yeah. Um, for some reason you said paper mill and triggered me. And now I'm thinking, oh man, we shouldn't be using trees for paper. We should be using hemp. <laughs> of course, man. That was just another bull bullshit maneuver. Yeah. You know, weaponizing well, man, the government can, to create. Can you, know, you imagine the prosperity that we could have if medicine and industry were actually open market and free market? Like if, right. if the corporations hadn't just captured everything. If they didn't have liability protection and fucking regulatory capture and yeah. Yeah. People don't, people are like, but if we get rid of the FDA, where, how do we know the drugs are safe? It's like, well, if they're not safe, safe, if they're not safe, you're going to find out pretty quick. You know, what's always pretty safe is homeopathy. Homeopathy. Even if it doesn't help you, it's not going to hurt you. Hey, I've I've yet to buy a bag of grass that was poisoned, you know? Yeah. So. I'm just saying like the free, even, even the gray and black market is uh, a lot of times safer than you might think. You know, the whole fentanyl thing obviously is like yeah, a glaring example of the dangers of criminality. And, uh, and the funny thing well, about fentanyl, yeah, the funny thing about fentanyl, it's an FDA approved drug. Yeah. And apparently they have something even better now. Oh, of course. Even more better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's just what we need. But, you know, it's only for extreme situations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. The whole the whole racket is just, it's amazing to, once you see it, you can't unsee it, right? Like For sure. And it's been real interesting, like, to listen to, do you listen to Liberty Lockdown? Yeah, um, not... <laughs> All the time. I'm not subscribed, but I'll I'll sift through every once in a while and if an episode looks interesting, I'll listen to it. Yeah. He I like just, I like his passion for sure. He's he's Shout a good out host. To Clint Russell. Clint Russell's pretty cool. Um he just had Dr. Pierre Corey on last okay. week. He plays a big part in RFK Jr.'s book. Mm, yeah. Yeah, dude. And it's just like it was a great conversation um worth a listen but yeah they just talk about like the unholy alliance between like the regulatory agencies uh pharmaceutical companies and sort of like how how doctors end up caught in the crosshairs you know because they're just following whatever the freaking american medical association says and the ama is bought and paid for and the fda is bought and paid for and you know, I've got multiple doctors in my their family. Whole, their that, whole education is bought and paid for. Yeah. It, it still blows my mind. Like I, I know doctors who just went along with the COVID narrative and I have yet to hear like, fuck all about it. Even though I think they're smart enough to realize like something was weird. And I mean, obviously, and, um, but they're all too afraid to say anything because they don't want to lose their damn licenses. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah, they got their wife and kids at home and they got their mortgage and their boat and Yeah. It's uh it would be a big step to just uh stick out your neck. Mm-hmm. Um which I understand that, but I also don't respect it that much. 
Um, well, it's like the cop that it's like, man, I just got to go another few years, get my pension. I'm not going to ruffle any feathers. Right. Like whatever's going on here. I didn't see it. I didn't hear it. Like, fuck it. But when it uh, comes down to it, it's the people on the ground doing it. Like the people it's, it's the cop actually, um, seizing the assets or putting someone in prison who hasn't harmed anyone. Uh-huh. It's, it's the nurse injecting someone with some poison. It's, those are the people who actually are doing the harm. It's yeah. not even the people on high. It's the people on high who are tricking other people into doing it. Uh-huh. And when I say on high, I mean like the lowest low of Luciferians or whatever. <laughs> of dirty. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievably evil. So I, I'm not absolving them at all, but unfortunately people through their ignorance end up doing a lot of damage <clears throat> when they could. And, they, and it's like, they could know better if they cared to know better, but it works in their best interests to not know better. Therefore they don't learn. Well, and it would be What's, too disruptive to their reality to yes. admit, to yeah. admit culpability paradigm shattering. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's, I mean, I see it play out with most of the people I know, you know, it's like refusal to, <laughs> to talk about it. You know, it's like, yeah, I'll make comments, man. I'm like, yep, that jab didn't work too good. Did it? <laughs> 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 People just are like, nice. shut the fuck up, Michael. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some, I uh, man, I, I should probably say more than I do sometimes. Even my wife, we, we, uh, had dinner with someone who was, uh, going off about Ukraine in a way that was totally ignorant and, mm-hmm. and sh- I just like kept it cool, kept the peace. And afterwards she was like, why didn't you like stick it to him a little harder? I was, I was, ho- I was rooting for you. I was hoping you would like tell him what's up. Cause I think you're more knowledgeable about this than he was. And I was just like, man, this is not like, I don't know. <laughs> not even <laughs> not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you're not going to convince that guy. Like, what's the point? Probably. I don't know. Like yeah. he's a very smart guy and he's, he, he was actually someone who was a teacher of mine and stuff like that. So oh, really? it's like, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he was the minister who married us even. So like, oh, no that's kidding. why we were having dinner with him. And, and yeah. we've always had some fun conversations, but I expected to have more of a ministerial, like, conversation about philosophy and not just like Ukraine and Russia. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's kind of, yeah, it's something I'm trying to find a balance with, with like this WTF form thing, the, like not being just on the hot button thing of the day, you know, like I find that to be kind of played out, you know, trying to cover like the, the most sensational news of the week or whatever. Right. It's Which- like, I try to, I try to at least come with some topics that are broader and like not, not so bound in a certain time or place. Like if yeah. that makes any sense, make uh, it more timeless. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. That's kind of how I try to do my podcast. Cause I know that a, I don't keep up with the daily headlines close enough to have much to say. Mm-hmm. And B, um, my brother has this rule that I like wait three days and see how it pans out. Like if, especially if something doesn't seem quite right, like just don't make a judgment. Don't commit to one side or the other. Just see what actually happened before 
you just go off about it, you know? Totally. Totally. And I like that rule. Like that, that makes sense to me. So it all, it automatically kind of puts me out of, um, like I can have, I'm happy to give my first impressions and everything and, and, um, and say what I think it is, but at the same time, that's coming from sort of a place of ignorance and, and usually the aftermath kind of sorts it out. (laughs) The internet warriors do their work and we get to, we get to find the truth a few days after the fact. Right. Right. Yeah. But you know, with how muddled and everything, you know, everything's so, um, yeah, people just are like so inclined to jump to conclusions about shit. And, and the news is always clearly slanted one way or another to, to convince you of this narrative or that. And, you know, it's like, it's like the, the Nashville shooter thing. It's like information was so scattered and confusing as it played out. Like the best thing you could do is just not get, not have an emotional reaction, but just like wait and see how, how the truth comes out. And, uh, that's just one example, but like, you remember how confusing everybody, you know, it was, it was like, was it a yeah. boy or a girl or this or that, or da, 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 da. Yep. it's like, everybody take a goddamn breath. You know, let's like, <laughs> well, I will say when it comes to mass shootings, my automatic assumption is it was an op. Yeah. And half the time it probably is. Yeah. And with that one, it's like with some of them, it's hard to tell. With most of them, it's hard to tell for sure. But um, if you can find if you can find the the inconsistencies in the story and put it together with some agenda, like where the money goes or or like what are they trying to push, it often points to something. Um, and also the whole thing where they where the shooters tend to have prior contact with the FBI. <laughs> yeah. I think there's been a few of those. Uh, you know, I think, I, I, I think it's a stretch maybe to say all of them, but like, like I said, maybe who knows? Half no, it's, I like, definitely wouldn't say all of them. Um, there's a certain amount of people that are fucking losing their minds yeah. because of, because of, I I'm convinced a big part of it's, you know, psychotropic pharmaceutical I, drugs. I think it's that. I think it's the public school system. If mm-hmm. I was in the public school system right now, it would drive me crazy. Oh, I almost, I, <laughs> it did drive me. I mean, I can still put myself back there. I was never like, obviously like a violent kid or anything, but I just hated high school. I resented being like locked up for eight hours a day. You know, it was basically like, I'm too old for this kind of treatment. Like this is horse shit. Yeah. Yeah. And That's what uh, I especially felt in college because they were still treating us like kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can say certain classes I took were definitely like that in college, but I was lucky in that I had a pretty cool uh, degree where like it was a really small group of students, small group of really cool professors. And luckily it, it was not, I felt like I got out in, in like the nick of time, you know, there was obviously like a liberal bias on campus, but it was nothing compared to what we're looking at now. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I went to a couple different colleges and didn't graduate from either of them. Um, one of them was just straight out of high school. I went for a year and that was kind of like a continuation of high school for me. But yeah, I I was getting tired of being infantilized, especially with certain 
um, faculty members who obviously didn't didn't respect me or like treated me as guilty until proven innocent with certain things, stuff totally. like that. Totally. That stuff really bothered me. But then, then I went and worked for a couple of years and tried to go back to college. And I did a semester, got fine grades and everything, but I, w- I was paying for it myself. And I was like, I am wasting my money. How am I paying mm-hmm. for this? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and it was, it was still the same thing, you know, it was that infantilization and just, uh, it was, it was kind of unbearable. I just had to not be there anymore. <laughs> Kind of makes sense, man. And like, I can see how they produce unstable humans. I I hate to say it, but I like very well might have dropped out, um, except that I, you know, because I never cared much for school. Like I said, I liked my major, but I still had to take that? like it was outdoor recreation, parks and human ecology, which is a little more of a mouthful than I'd care for. But it's kind of <laughs> like a blend, a blend of like parks and rec with a little bit of the science uh, I should say more than a little bit but not you know it's not a science degree but kind of a broad you know stroke um, but very cool people like I said I think there were only like 70 kids in my graduating class uh, and this was at Indiana University so it's like a really niche major in a big school okay and um, so we just had a blast together like met That's some cool. really awesome people took some cool classes, but I resented every bullshit class I had to take. Right. Like, I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous. And, uh, anyways, yeah, school never quite agreed with me. I was just good enough at it to get by and like pass and all that. But I, you know, part of me wishes I'd gotten started gardening when I was freaking 18 years old. I just didn't know at the time. That's what I wanted. Like it, it's kind of fucked up. It takes us till we're like 20 years old to figure out what to do with our lives. Again, <laughs> like bad guidance counselors. Yeah. Oh man. And just, and just lack of opportunities. To, my to my be mom being into gardening was another thing. Like my dad showing me the mechanic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, I wasn't that into it back then. And then once I got on my own, I was like, Oh, this is actually pretty valuable. And I, I started growing stuff on my own, but then meeting my wife and having her be part of it was um, definitely huge in me getting into that. Um, a couple of the gardens together stays together, man. Right? Yeah. <laughs> as long as it stays, like you know. I like that. I'm going to tell her that. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I see all types of couples, like as you know, my clients or whatever. And some of them like bicker a little bit in, in the garden about what to do and where to put. Oh, yeah, we do and, that. Sure. But honestly, I think it's healthy. It's like, it's a good, it's a good outlet. It's a good argument. Like where should this hydrangea go? How about here? No, no, not there. Not there. You know, over here. No, not there. Not there. You know, like it can go on for 10 minutes, but it's kind of funny and charming and like entertaining. And you can tell they love each other. They're just bickering for the sake of it, (laughs) which I I think is kind of cool. Yeah. I like that. Sometimes I joke that I'm halfway like a garden therapist. You know, you spend an hour with somebody in their garden, just like you start talking about plants and you end up talking about, you know, their kids or their parents or their, you know, this or that, or, you know, people just kind of open up and, uh, it's funny, man. I, I, I really love most of my clients. I'll say that. How, um, like, 
how far will you travel to to your clients? Because you mentioned driving time and stuff. Do you have a mm-hmm. limit? Do you have like clients that you won't take because they're too far away or they don't want enough, like a big enough job or something like that? I'll put it this way. Like, so I tend to just operate around Indianapolis within say 10 miles or so. But if there's a big opportunity for a big job an hour away, I'll go, you know, um, when it comes to the membership though, I kind of say like, this is my service radius anywhere outside of that is a no go. But I have this one client that I drive almost two hours for just like once a month. And it's because they are the coolest people and they've been clients since like, basically I used to live down where they live and I started working for them then. And I, I just love them too much to not go say hi once a month. Right. And I usually put in five, six hours of work, you know, cutting wood or, you know, they're more of homesteaders than they are gardeners. I mean, they're both obviously, but pretty sizable homestead chickens, you know, big old garden. And the guy's got Parkinson's disease. They just need some help, you know, occasionally oh, with, yeah. with some, of, some of the more, I don't know, dangerous type of stuff right. on the homestead. And I'm happy to do it. You know, sometimes I even take my camper and just stay the night down there and have dinner with them and stuff. And oh, that's cool. So like, it's a, the cool thing about it is, yeah, I've got clients where it's kind of just like, all right, this is a professional relationship. Like I'm just here to provide a service, you know, and do it to your expectations and whatever. But like this relationship is not any deeper than that. But then you get to know others who you end up becoming really good friends with. And uh, it's a very relational kind of job to be somebody's gardener. They got to trust you, you know, like you're, you're changing their environment. Right. You know, how do you deal with, um, do you have difficult clients who you take on and then they want to keep changing stuff or nothing's ever quite right. That kind of thing where it's just like not worth it. Yes. Um, and typically when I, let's say this, when I get a vibe from somebody like at the consultation and I'm like, I can just tell they're going to be a difficult person. I don't know if this is bad of me or not, but I kind of just ghost. Like I try to, (laughs) I try to avoid the bad client before I pick them up because I have made the mistake of ignoring that little voice in my head saying this person is going to be the bane of your existence. But I'm just like looking at that paper, like I, I, you know, give me your money, you know, like, right. But it's, there is a type of person personality who you will lose money on no matter how much work you put in and like how good of a product you give them. Some people will take you, take advantage of you. Frankly, you know, like, like you said, Oh, can you change this? Can you change that? This, that, the other. And before you know it, you've, you've burnt through every penny of profit. Um, it happens, man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my, my wife does, um, work with clients and she has that. And she had one, her, basically one of her first regular clients. Um, she ended up kind of firing him because it was too much stress. It was, it was, she wasn't making enough money to make it worth it. And it's like, yeah, you either have to just straight up, not take the job or, or you have to like give a real highball estimate, um, or quote to make it worth it. 
And even yeah. then, sometimes maybe it's not worth it. Even then, even then, yeah. <laughs> the, the stress of putting up with like that high strung of a person is it's not worth it, man. Um, I've got clients that are kind of funny, like kind of picky, but there's a difference between like kind of picky, but can be pleased right. versus the person that will never be pleased no matter how good you do, you know? And uh, yeah, like I said, I just trust my gut from now on because it's not worth it. Um, you know, it's like sometimes the ones who, how do I say this? Like I, I, I did some work for this lady and she, she's a lonely old lady and she doesn't mean anything by it, but she kind of, she's get, she, she kind of takes advantage of me every time I'm there because she's such a little old lady. How do you say no to a little old lady? Right. And I, you know, sometimes you got to fire that client. You got to be a little bit heartless. Oh man. Yeah. That sounds yeah. tough. <laughs> it is. It's not a fun thing, but you know, I have, I have told people like, Hey, sorry, like this just isn't going to work out. Um, I, I wish you luck. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the most powerful words that we have is no, no. and we don't use it enough. Mm -hmm. I, think, I, I mean, honestly, we were talking about disintegration of culture and, um, stuff like that earlier. And I think that not being able to say no, not being able to set your boundaries. Um, that's a lot of it. We're, we're in such a yes culture atmosphere that, um, that we feel this obligation to just say yes to everything. And really that's not the right answer. It's not what's best for either one of you because it's just going to end. It's just going to lead to like all this turmoil and, and stress, you know, goes right back to the whole issue of enmeshment and personal sovereignty, you know, a sense of like self self-guided destiny, like having power over one's own life. It's so critical, but yeah, like if you, if you can't say no to people, like if you can't set up boundaries, then, then you have no, you have no definition. You are not a, a person of your own. You are beholden to everyone around you. Like you have to have, have boundaries. Uh, yeah. I don't know. The, the client relationship for me, I think is fairly, I can handle that because there is a degree of like emotional separation. You know, it's a professional relationship. This is not a family member or a friend. So I have an easier time maybe saying no to basically somebody I don't care for or don't know in right. a personal level. Um, but it can be very difficult to say no to, to the people closest to you. I think people get in hot water all the time. Gotta, gotta, gotta say no when, when you have to. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, um, I don't have, uh, a lot of practice with that because it's not that often when those things come up where I have to like, just put my foot down, but it's something that I'm at least aware of now. And I'm, going to try in the future to, you know, put, put that foot down and say no when I just, even if it's just, I don't feel like doing it, you know, um, that's, that's kind of that little voice, you know, that, yeah. that just, I don't want to do it. Like something, something tells me that this is not going to be something I enjoy doing or something that's going to work out for me well or whatever. And I'm not even working with clients. I have a normal job, but, um, 
there's still those, those things arise in life. <laughs> I think it's a big part of why so many people took the jab, even if they weren't a hundred percent comfortable with it. Yeah. But it didn't, it's like, it didn't take that much twisting of the arm because they just didn't want to disappoint people. Yeah. Yeah. They had you family know? members or they had employers or whatever. And they, they felt that pressure and mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Unfortunately, and I know people who have taken it and regret it too. Yeah. Well, dude, I'm curious, like what your show is kind of all about. We didn't really talk about it much when you came on the forum. Um, I assume, is it always interviews or no? So, so far, the only solo episode I did was my intro episode, mm-hmm. which I did sort of, uh, a concept like where I'm at, um, I did a little deep diving on things like event 201 and just talking about the whole pandemic thing. Um, and I talked about fifth generation warfare and how it's not just like, it's not just one enemy that we're dealing with. It's a lot of them and it's, it's coming from all sides. Um, everything from, um, chemtrails and pesticides to um economic warfare and just you know the whole the whole gamut i don't think i even covered it that thoroughly because there's so many little rabbit holes you can go down (laughs) yeah but uh so that was my intro episode and since then it's been all interviews and i'm thinking I actually kind of want to do a little bit of a pivot to maybe doing some more deep dives and stuff, but I'd be open to having guests on for those deep dives to kind of get like reactions to whatever I bring up and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But yeah, the way I did that first episode is I just went to the websites and either read directly from the websites or put together some outlines of what was there with some excerpts and stuff like that. So I could still read some quotes directly from the websites, like event 201 and, uh, the spars, um, document stuff like that. Um, and then there was some, some weather modification stuff where I was doing it directly from the website. And then some of it was just kind of off the cuff, like what I'm thinking about this. And, and so I really want to be solutions oriented. I want to be community and solution. Like, I think that, um, it's not just a physical thing. Like we're, we're sort of in a spiritual warfare. I know you've heard Ando say this a bunch of times, I'm sure. And that's like, that's one of the things that I connect with him over is that, um, we're in a spiritual war and, we have to preserve our humanity. Um, you know, we have to kind of get in touch with the people who we love, get in touch with God or source, you know, whatever you want to call whatever your relationship with God is. Um, it's funny. I'm, I'm very open-minded to different people's ideas of, of God and existence, but, I got to admit, if someone tells me they're an atheist, I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> feel you, man. I, I feel get, you. I get yeah. that some people just like, a lot of people were born in the Catholic church and they're just like, no, that's not that. No, I get that. I get, I get wanting to reject that because of your own, um, subjective Biases. experiences. Yeah. Yeah. But also I have trouble connecting if if you don't think there's anything beyond your knowledge beyond 
the reality that we see in front of us. I think there's more to it. Um, uh, and I think that's pretty undeniable. So being able to have a conversation about that is big to me. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, I was sort of a wandering agnostic for a time. Um, never could claim a uh, total, you know, atheism because I, I always felt like that was too, too arrogant the other way to say, yeah, I know I, I claim to know that there is no God, bro, you do not know, you know, like that is just, it's not an honest stance. Right. Um, But with all the shit, the last few years, it does just feel like there is clearly good and evil forces behind things like, like this issue of psyops and conspiracies. And it's almost like you don't, you know, as George Carlin said, you don't need a formal conspiracy where the interests of the powerful intersect. You know, like, right. It, it's, it's a because system. Because their interests intersect, it's going to happen that way, regardless of whether they talked about it or not. Yeah. You know, I don't know about, I don't know. I don't know anything about anything, frankly. I just know a little bit about some things, but, uh, <laughs> but no, when it comes to like all this craziness, I think maybe there's some control, some deep state stuff. But I think so much of the majority of it is is systematic destabilization, like decay, entropy, you know, and I think I think it's symptoms of environmental problems, psychological symptoms, physical symptoms, bad food, bad environment, you know, bad social structure. And uh, you get a lot of a lot of bad shit as a result. But like you said, I try to stay focused on the positive and on the on the solutions. That's why it's like gardens are number one, dude. Yeah, that whole victory garden idea where like yeah. in a war zone, the last thing you have is your garden kind of thing. Like that's mm-hmm. that's a pretty inspiring it's it's sad and scary, but also inspiring. Like the the mm-hmm. image of um a city that's been bombed out and there's a bunch of ruins. And then on the outskirts, there's just people with their gardens just kind of surviving. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's both horrific and inspirational because it's like, Oh, some people can make it through that. Even, Mm -hmm. even in a war zone or whatever, like some people are able to just make their way despite all the odds being stacked against them. Something I kind of talk about probably too much on my show is just, again, like I said earlier, like we come from hunter gatherers, like let's not forget. And they were very capable. You know, you come from an unbroken line of survivors and just cause we've been relatively comfortable since, you know, the invention of the automobile and air conditioning um, doesn't mean that we've forgotten how to survive if we have to. You know, that's what I try to stay like positive about. You know, I don't think it's the end. I think it's a, a reset of sorts, but there may be some hard times in, in our future. And if you're not at least thinking about it and trying to trying to learn some skills that are going to be useful, you know, all the 401ks in the world aren't going to buy you, you know, off the Titanic if you catch my drift. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> There's a really speaking of bluegrass music. You ever listen to Charlie Parr? No, I'm not familiar. He's almost bluesier than he is bluegrass, but it's okay. definitely 
definitely kind of a combination, but he's got a song about the Titanic where, you know, it's about the rich man who's trying to buy his way off the boat and he can't, you know, all the money in the world couldn't buy that, that ticket on the lifeboat. Right. And I always thought that was kind of a funny way of saying it, but that's, you know, again, I'm a single man. I have no problem living in a garage, but like in terms of what I've invested in, I may not have much money, but I have tools. I've got skills. I've got equipment. You know, I've got vehicles. Um, and it's kind of like, that's just my, my way of <laughs> being prepared. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm very much the same way. I've got, yeah. I've got a pickup truck as well as regular economy cars for my wife and I, and lots of tools. Um, no big equipment because we live in kind of a small house in town, but, uh, but I've got a lot of practical tools that I can do a lot with, you know, I can do electricity and plumbing <laughs> and I can put some studs together and, and make something. Um, so yeah, like I, I definitely think you're, you're right about that. Just having, having those real world skills that um that could be in demand if uh things go south it's it's a it's a very worthwhile thing and yeah gardening is is a big one of those um not just gardening but hunting as well and mm-hmm. um and podcasting oh just kidding <laughs> <laughs> that's not really essential <laughs> well but dude honestly like I don't try to glamorize or like over over dramatize what we're doing, but like this is the decentralized network, right? Like this is sort of, I think this is the, it's the cure. You know, I, I, I know that neither of us have that big of an audience, but like what we're doing is building relationships Yeah, um, between shows, between, you know, guests on the shows, like going from, Childerberg last summer, knowing one person to Childerberg this summer, I probably knew like 15, 20 people like nice. And it felt like I know them like, like we are actual friends, right? Um, this might only be the second time we've shook hands, but we've now had a year of sort of being in, in loose contact or whatever. And, um, I don't know. I, I, I genuinely see it as a major force for good. The podcast. You know, it's the counter propaganda device. It's the only one we've got left. Yeah. Well, I mean that in Substack. Sure. Sure. But, but yeah. who, but nobody reads anymore. Don't you I know? know. <laughs> <laughs> I read, I love to read, but a lot of people don't. I, I don't spend much time reading Substacks. I spend more time reading actual books. If I'm going to read, you know, I like to actually sit down and read a book. Um, I'm not a big fan of reading on my computer or on my phone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you should pick up my book if you're looking for a good read. You've got a book? Yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> it's called Hey Duke 2029. And uh, do you ever read any Edward Abbey perchance? No. I'll just admit it. It's sort of halfway fan fiction. Um, what I sort of tried to do is write a... Uh, <sighs> a third, a third book in a trilogy that I didn't have any business in starting. You know, it was like he, Edward Abbey wrote two books. One's called the monkey wrench gang. The other's called Hey Duke lives. And I always thought there was supposed to be a third. 
So I got kind of creative last summer, drank a lot of beer and smoked a lot of weed. And I wrote the third book um, in my way, in my style, you know, yeah. not trying to not trying to like step on toes, but it was, you know, like I said, I'll just call it like to some extent fan fiction. The The reference would pretty much be lost on you if you didn't know about Edward Abbey's books, but it's just a good read on its own. So uh, what's the have, basic premise? Premises, um, global blackout. And it kind of jumps before, you know, back in time before the blackout and to a couple years after the blackout with the insinuation being that there was a whole lot of bloodshed in the interim, but you don't really get any of that. It's more like life before. And then the, you know, life after everything's changed and people are kind of like rebuilding society to some extent, but it's in a fractured uh, North America where there's sort of different power centers and different, you know, kind of competing governments and, a whole lot of no man's land. Um, and it sort of takes place. It's going to sound super nerdy and super podcastery, but <laughs> the, the main character is a guy who is broadcasting once a week, sort of a news show, like counter propaganda show, trying to provide like real information to people on the ground, as far as like border disputes and, you know, travel advisories and like, sort of imagine like the evening radio news, your local traffic, but like on a broad, like continental you know, scale, like, and, and he's trying to get a message out, but there's spooks coming after him. Right. Long story right. short. Yeah. Oh, that sounds awesome. That sounds like the kind of book I'd be into. I've, uh, some of my favorite books to read slash listen to have been some, uh, like the cyberpunk stuff, like Philip sure. K. Dick and um, whoever did that periphery. I can't, I can, I always forget his name. Um, I'm not familiar. There's, there's a new show. I think it's on Amazon, the peripheral. And uh, it's based on this guy's books. Um, I'm kicking myself right now for not remembering the author's name, but um, yeah, some of that like dystopian future stuff that where there's just people, in there kind of like fighting against it. I love that. Yeah. I, that's it's very much the man against the machine. Yeah. Kind of, you know, story. And, uh, you know, like you could call it like prepper fiction, doomer fiction, but I, it's really not like the style I was going for. If anything, I was going for sort of somewhere between sci-fi and like Western. So there's like a little bit of supernatural stuff involved. And, uh, but mostly it's just kind of like a gunslinger book in like a modern, in a modern kind of, you know, and I don't know the reason I say sci-fi, like from my perspective. So I lived in Utah for, for a year, fell in love with Utah, but it always felt like I was living on another planet. Huh? So, so the entire plot line of pre blackout takes place in Indiana, you know, in the luscious green Midwest with Hoosiers, you know, people that I grew up with. And then the, the post blackout storyline takes place in Utah, which is just such a desolate, um, bizarre landscape. You know, it's very much like Mars footage comes from, right? It, yes, a hundred percent. And, um, and so it almost takes on that shape of like, sort of being in a somewhat alien landscape, um, with sort of, 
some some forces at play you know some some mystery in the background but yeah, sounds, that's the long and short of it. It sounds yeah. fascinating. Send me a link for that because sure. yeah, I'll put we'll that do. in the show notes and I'll probably check it out too. Yeah. And Amazon doesn't like you to find it. So you do need a direct link. Uh, <laughs> it can, it can be found in the search bar, but you literally have to have the title, like the full title with my name. It's bullshit. I got to get on the horn with customer support and be like, make me, make me searchable, you know? Right. This is, this is baloney. <laughs> but no, it, you know, it was a fun process. It was a fun story to put on the page. Like, I just hope, you know, so far I've gotten like thumbs up, man. People are having fun reading it. So for sure. That's awesome. How long has it been out? Uh, since like August or September, I wrote it quick. I wrote it in like three weeks. Wow. That's had impressive. It published, had it published like three weeks later. So I, I started writing a novel that was very autobiographical mm-hmm. and I found myself getting hung up on the conversations that I had. I couldn't come up with dialogue for them because I couldn't remember exactly what the dialogue was. That's and where artistic license comes in. I know, I know, yeah. but it's hard. Like when you're sitting there trying to remember how it went, it's hard to just come up with how it might've went. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And I got 30 pages and I still like have this idea that, oh, I could pick that up again, but uh, I'm not super inspired to. That was, it was, was gonna about say. stuff that happened like 20 years ago now. So maybe now with that removal, I could pick it back up and, uh, and feel more free to do the artistic license. Um, yeah. back when I started it, I was more like 10 years removed, which was, it's a substantial amount of time. Mm-hmm. But um, still fresh enough, I guess, that I was trying to get it exactly the way it was rather than just make it my own. Yeah, I would say never let, you know, perfect be the enemy of the good. If, right. If the inspiration strikes again for me, like it was kind of like once I got once I got the momentum, I think I had to break through probably 100 pages before I was really like, OK, we're jamming, yeah. you know, like. So the other thing is organization. Like when you get to a hundred pages, you're going back through, I don't know what your writing process is, but for me, I was trying to go back through like, what have I written? What haven't I written about? There's some of that. There's some of that. um, The way I did it, because it was a flashback, flash forward, flashback, flash forward kind of structure. um, It made it easy to keep things kind of separated I didn't expect to write it that way. And it's not as if every uh, chapter changes timelines, but it does fairly, fairly often. I'll say, especially in the beginning, it was kind of like, it's like you start here, you go there, you start here, you go there. Then we stay here a while. Then we stay here for a while. As far as, you know, is it basically it was flashing between 2020 and 2029. So a nine year huh. spread between the two sort of storylines, you know, following the same character. Um, but that, that helped me to like, I could kind of keep everything. I, I knew what I'd written basically. Cause I knew which stories I told like each, I don't know. It's, that's the best I can probably explain how I did it. I have no answers for, you know, it's like every writer has a different style. I was kind of discovering my style with this book and I'm looking forward to maybe doing another. Um, 
now that the spring is done, I have a lot more free time. You know, the spring rush is always pretty hardcore. Right. But I might try to uh, write another one this this summer. And I'm thinking maybe going like more espionage with it as opposed to sort of gunslinger Western, like more of a spy novel. Um, But maybe set kind of in the same world. Dude, there's there's some really cool stuff you could do with uh, like people who work for a big corporation and start to kind of wake up and realize that the corporation is working against humanity or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And sort of like blowing it up from the inside, everything from the quiet quit, which is like, you're working this corporate job and you realize that you can just do like almost no work <laughs> and still yeah. keep your job. Right. Right. <laughs> to, to actually like becoming involved and like riding your way up the chain or whatever, and then just blowing it up or like, that's, that's all pretty, uh, fantastic it it would make great books right yeah i think it would be fun to have the deception angle you know like the sort of the protagonist being sort of a complex character that's doing maybe questionable ethics but for the common good you know just i love i love complex characters so it's fun to kind of craft one and frankly i met one dude in particular at childerberg that kind of got me jazzed up. I was already thinking about doing something kind of spy related and talking with him. He was the spookiest one <laughs> I got to know in a good kind of way. Like I kind of, I don't know. It's always hard to know if you can like believe somebody that you've never met before when they start telling you some pretty outlandish stuff. But I'm like, he, he could be a character. Now I have the face. I have the voice. I have the, sort of attitude that I, I think the character was you could base a character was needing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Cause the last one, I kind of based it just off of me. Like, cause that's the easiest way to do it. Right. right. Like you said, kind of halfway self autobiographical, but you know, fictionalized. And so now the challenge is going to be coming up with a main character that is somebody totally different from me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But no, writing's if a trip. Got, if you've got someone to base it off of, that makes it a lot easier. It does. And that's that's kind of what I discovered. It was like every character in my book was based off of somebody that I either know well or that I've met or seen or, you know, John McAfee makes an appearance. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit of a spoiler. I don't actually use the name John McAfee, but if you know who John McAfee is and his whole vibe... Right. When you read when you read that chapter, you know exactly who the fuck it is. Nice, nice. Yeah. Wow. Talk about um, a mysterious persona and a wacky character, man. A wacky character who was always entertaining. I loved hearing him on podcasts and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. and and then seeing all his tweets like right toward the end about how I definitely won't kill myself. <laughs> yeah. Got the, got the schwacked tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, I, I was, I was having a very difficult time deciding oh, the dead switch stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was having a hard time deciding how to explain a global blackout. Right. Cause I'm basically like all the prepper fiction bullshit is like solar flare or, um, what's the other common one? Um, I don't know. There's one of two 
or three explanations usually for like the blackout scenario. Yeah. Like a nuclear EMP, which is very similar to the solar flare. They're both EMPs basically. And I Um, sort of halfway applied that principle, but I decided what I wanted was a rogue individual mad genius type that was solely responsible for the decision and who did it from a twisted sense of like, like doing what was right by basically throwing the off switch to it all. Right. Right. Knowing full well that a massive number of people would be killed in the process. Um, Yeah, dude. And for whatever reason, John McAfee just seemed like a good guy to base that kind of wacky character off of. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it would take someone with that like impulsive uh, decision making where it's just like, you know what? It's gone too far. I'm doing this. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Plus just the optics, like for me writing it, it was so it was so fun because I could just imagine this guy on a super yacht with a laptop <laughs> hacking, hacking into some shit. You know, I, yeah, I don't want to give it all away, but the details are devil's in the details. It was probably one of my favorite chapters to write because it was just so outrageous and it came out of left field for me. It was like a light bulb going off. I'm like, Oh yeah, McAfee. And the beauty is the story is halfway true. He has software on right. damn near every computer across the globe. You know, if somebody had the capability it might be him. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure like, I, I can't help but think that whatever his stuff that he what whatever his intel was that he was hiding, it must have been involved with the Epstein stuff and et cetera, et cetera, all that human trafficking stuff. Because that is, <laughs> I think it's a big enough part of our economy that no one really wants to admit how big yeah. of a part of our economy. It's like it's too scary, too horrific to even like think about. Yeah, you might be right, man. It's like Epstein had dirt on everybody and McAfee might have had dirt on Epstein, you know, or or on everybody too, but he was the wild card, right? He might have had the same intel. He might have took what Epstein had, you know, using his crafty ways and but he he wasn't like Epstein. He wouldn't wheel and deal, you know? Right. Yeah. Could be. Could be. I don't know. The Gramerica guys recently had his wife on. Um can't, is it Janet or Janelle or something like that? Yeah, um, something like that. The the Filipino looking one, or I don't I don't know what she looks like. I didn't watch it. Okay. I just listened to it. Um, but yeah, she was a prostitute who was basically a plant for Intel, and she ended up kind of like siding with him and realized that they both had a lot to lose, and if they stuck together, they could really kind of like. Stick Fuck shit up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, I think he was, I think he had, he had a, a penchant for fucking with the system, dude. He wanted to, he wanted to do a little bit of demo work. Yeah. Yeah. Not saying that's the right way to be. I'm just saying it makes for an interesting character. There, there are <laughs> definitely um, institutions that could benefit humanity by being demolitioned put it that way yeah yeah. (laughs) i know what you mean yeah 
Well, you know, I don't know about you, but it's uh, it's getting a little bit late over here. I don't know. You got any more? Uh, yeah, any I'm, more? I'm just about good. Um, one question that my wife had for you, which is a really oh, yeah? good question. What is your favorite plant to grow? <laughs> That's a classic. Everybody wants to know the favorite. <laughs> I, you know, it's kind of hard to decide. Maybe strawberries. I would say like, I love strawberries and asparagus together. Ooh. So I'll count that as like together. One. Yes, because strawberries stay low and asparagus goes high and it casts yeah. almost no shade. So they they grow very well together. Um, but honestly, I think my favorite plant, not necessarily to grow, although it's easy enough to grow, is bee balm, which is yeah. a mint. And I just love the smell of it. And and I was telling some dudes I got pretty worked up, pretty excited talking about mint. It's it's like also whole, very savory. It's not just minty. It's it's got like a savory. It's got a unique flavor, kind of palette to it. Yeah, or fragrant fragrance. I guess. I yeah, do you say. eat but, uh, Is that okay to eat? You don't really eat mint too often. You well, you, you, you can, steep it though. into it's teas and stuff. <laughs> it's not really poisonous. It's just not like very good to the taste. If you're gonna put it in a salad, it's a very little bit. A little bit. It's yeah. powerful. Yeah. Put it that yeah. way. Um, and I was I was getting all worked up talking about mint because it's just a very weird family of plants. Um, it's got some kind of unique uh, characteristics that you don't see very often. Uh, like the leaf pattern is what they call alternate opposite, which I won't try to explain. But if you know what mint looks like, you know that it has opposite, alternate, opposite. I think alternate. I know what you mean. And um, it's kind of different. You don't see that very often. Kind of that uh, zigzagginess instead of just the straight up spine with perfectly opposite um, tines going off of it. Yeah. Well, and it's got it's got um, a square stem, which is very weird. Oh, you know, huh. I don't I don't know if there's any other plants with a square stem. I probably shouldn't say that. There probably are, but it's it's kind of interesting. You know, and you think about it, tons of stuff that you wouldn't think of as mint is mint. Like yeah, time. Uh, oh. You know, now, well, I'm blanking, but what lemon balm, uh, there's like, there's a whole bunch. I'm not going to try to list them, but. Well, if time is in there, would things like sage and salvia be in there too? You know, salvia actually is a whole, a whole family of its own. I'm pretty sure. But, um, sage it's, it's, it's not a mint. No. Okay. But time, I feel like I'm blanking, but it, whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but it's just a weird plant. And like, I've always kind of had a feeling there's like something almost extraterrestrial about it or something, you know, huh. like it, it just feels very different from most other plants. It's got a certain, yeah, you know, I was all hopped up on mushrooms talking about this Childerberg, but I'm like, every plant has a feeling, has a vibration and mint has a very different vibration from most plants in my opinion. And that's the hippiest shit I'll say all night. Well, I'll just say, speaking of things with different vibrations, mushrooms and fungi in general, there's there's a fascinating life form. I'm pretty sure all life came out of fungi. Interesting. I don't know. That's just my feeling. You don't think it doesn't actually make you any don't think sense. Fungi came out of something else before that, like some other kind of microorganism or. I think that's the. The interesting thing is that spores can survive in the vacuum of space. Yeah, that's now, there's a cool. few there's a few multi-celled organisms that can survive in the vacuum of space. There's something called the water bear, 
I forget what the technical term is for it, but it's like a microscopic aquatic critter that looks kind of like a little teddy bear. <laughs> um, doesn't have a face, but it, you know, the body shape of it is very te- teddy bear like, but it's so small and they can supposedly survive in the vacuum of space too. The weird thing about, about fungi is that it's a massive, um, I guess kingdom, right? It's one of the three main kingdoms or orders. My, you know, my biology is rusty, but it's plants, animals, and fungi, more or less. And then I guess there's like eukaryotes, which is all like the bacteria virus. Right. Shit. Yeah. But as far as like multicellular life goes, fungi fits in kind of in a weird place where it's supposedly animals are more closely related to fungi than they are to plants, whatever the fuck that means. Like, I almost think that plants brought branched off one way and animals branched off the other from from fungi. Yeah. That's an interesting take and something that'll just take some pondering because I I don't have any positive or negative feedback on that for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Some people call it like the least understood mega science. It's so huge and there's so much of it and so many different types of it. um, And we just know so very, very little. Yeah. 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 And it's got, it's got like that whole neuro network thing going on, which is very fascinating to me. Yeah. Maybe not quite literally. We all came from mushrooms, but I think it kind of maybe terraformed the earth for the rest of life to come in its wake. It it definitely seems like, um, with the electrical impulses and stuff. I mean, I know plants have their ways of communicating too, through root structures and stuff as well, but the way usually using the fungi. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, right yeah, on, dude, this has been awesome. I appreciate it has you been coming awesome. on and yeah. uh, let's see, you want to give some plugs? Well, I think I gave them all like over the course of it, but if I can do it short, uh, easy peasy podcast on all your, all your catchers. Um, hey, do 2029 on Amazon. Check the, the show notes for that. And if you happen to be in the Indianapolis area, holler at me if you want to garden. Um, is, is, is that Hey Dude or Hey Duke? Hey Duke. Hey okay. Duke. Thank you. H A Y D U K E. That's one word. Hey Duke 2029. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead if you have more. I think that's all. That's everything. Sweet, man. Thank you. Oh, and check out the WTF forum, which is just on my podcast feed. Uh, it's on Ando's podcast feed. It's, you know, the whole idea is we we're trying to get a collective of content creators to do occasional, you know, roundtable discussions about whatever the fuck makes us say what the fuck. Um, you know, sometimes it's current event stuff. Sometimes it's broader, like I said, but now hold on. Uh, I thought WTF stood for World Trade Organ or World Trade Federation. Yeah. yeah, well, there's that one too. Maybe, <laughs> we are the what the fuck form, WTFF. And, and I'll yeah, appear we had, on there once in a while too. I mean, yeah. to, I, I mean to get on there again. Um, I often miss the the texts and organization on Sunday evenings. I often am just doing other stuff. But yeah, uh, yeah it was fun going on once and I'll be on there again. And maybe, we'd, maybe that'll we'd appear on my feed as well at some point. That's kind of the idea. It doesn't belong to any one of us. If you I want like to put it. it on your feed, that's that's your prerogative, you know? So it's kind of cool. Um, 
and we're going to keep doing them. They're fun. Uh, maybe not every single Friday, but we're shooting for kind of like most, you know, I thought you were doing Sundays. I'm sorry. Sunday. <laughs> yeah. That's my fault. <laughs> yep. Sunday nights. Uh, we go live at 8 PM Eastern. Nice. Well, thanks for taking the time. I, I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, man. No doubt. I had a good time too. It was, it was perfect. Uh, so yeah, thanks for inviting me.